Good morning, church, and welcome to Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, this season of the year when we celebrate God's presence in our lives and his coming down to us. In the four Sundays of Advent and then on Christmas Eve, we're going to spend time looking at the presence of God in our lives. We're going to look at that from a lot of different perspectives. This morning, we're looking at God's creative presence. As we go on through the weeks, we'll look at the way he reveals that presence to us, how that presence is the incarnate God himself come to us in Jesus Christ, how it is a life-giving presence, and that that life-giving presence redeems us. So week by week, we will look at the joy of, uh, of Christ's arrival and what it means to celebrate in this season uh, of the year. I want us to look at the creative glory of God this morning. And there are several places in Scripture where this speaks in a powerful, powerful way. Uh, it is the answer to idol worship. If you look in Psalm uh, 96, it says, All the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. It also answers the question of our doubts. Perhaps one of the classic situations in Scripture is the confrontation of, of God with Job at the end of the book of Job. Job has heard from all of his so-called friends and all of his advisors about what's going on in his life. And he's kind of had a little pity party near the end of the book. But in Job chapter 38, this is what the Lord says. The Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Well, that kind of word from God gets our attention. And what follows those words is just a litany of God's creative power. He says, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. And for page after page after page, God talks about his creative power that eases all of our questions, that answers all of our doubts, that speaks to us. We come to the end of this, and Job finally speaks out and says, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. And then at the end, Job replies, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. We recognize that the word of God not only breaks down idols, his creative power not only assuages all of our doubts, but it also answers the issues of unbelief and atheism in our world. Listen to these words from the first chapter of the book of Romans. Paul has just said the righteous will live by faith. And in verse 18, he says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. And then he tells us how God has made it plain to everyone who is part of this world. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. We recognize from the word that God's creative power enters into everything that we see around us. And it certainly enters into the Christmas narrative and to the presence of God. We experience the presence of God by his creative power. John knew all about the prophecies of the Old Testament, about how a child would come, about how he would be Emmanuel, God, with us. He had lived through John the Baptist's ministry and the introduction of Jesus. He had been one of the disciples of Christ. And now he adds to the Christmas story. Some people look at the Gospels and say, well, it's just the same story over and over again. It is, but it's from such different perspectives that we can't just pick a favorite Gospel and stick to that because they complement each other to tell the full story of Christ. Take, for example, the Christmas story. We look at Luke's gospel and we get so much of our Christmas time scriptures from Luke's gospel. The only Gentile writer in all of scripture, and yet if we put together all the words that Luke penned with the book of Luke and the book of Acts, it's more than Paul's writing or more than John's writing. As the only Gentile writer in scripture, he focuses on the Gentile. He speaks of the poor, of the women, of the outcast, of the underdogs of their society. And though he was not one of the disciples, while he was serving Paul as his personal physician, he interviewed all the disciples, talked to all those who had been eyewitnesses. He begins his story with Elizabeth, with Mary, with the shepherds, and sees their perspective in the story. He doesn't focus a lot on prophecy, for he's writing to the Gentiles and as a Gentile. He points to Jesus as an infant and beyond. In chapter 3 of Luke, he speaks of the genealogy of Christ, but he starts that genealogy with Adam. Jesus belongs to the family of man, as we recognize his lineage. Luke calls us during this Christmas message to come and discover Jesus and worship him. Matthew, on the other hand, was one of the disciples, And he was a Jew, and as a Jew, he speaks to the Jewish perspective. As you know, he was a tax collector, and as such, because of the culture of that time, he was a traitor to his own people and hated by those to whom he cheated out of their taxes. But when Jesus called him from his tax booth and said, follow me, I think Matthew took with him his writing utensils and his scrolls and writes now to the Jews in those three years and in the days to follow. When Matthew gives his genealogy, he begins with Abraham, and very systematically, from Abraham through David to Jesus. Fourteen generations from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile, fourteen from the exile to Jesus. He portrays Jesus as the coming king, as Messiah. His story begins with the Magi, worshiping the king of the Jews. We take Mark's gospel and add that to the mix. And Mark really adds nothing to the Christmas story because he's so excited about the Passion Week, he just wants to get through the preliminaries and write to what happened when he, as a young teenager, experienced Jesus and the disciples. 
See, Mark was being raised by Mary, his mother. She owned the house with the upper room where Jesus met with the disciples. Mark, as a teenager, viewed that week and transformed his life. He later was kind of adopted by Peter. He became his surrogate father and kind of led him into the ways of Christ. John Mark had a difficult time on that first missionary journey with his uncle Barnabas and Saul. But when he came back to Jerusalem, Peter just kind of took him under his wing and led him into the truth of Jesus. And Mark reads the way a teenager thinks, the way he viewed the time that Jesus spent there in Jerusalem. It reads like one run-on sentence. Jesus went here and then he did this and all these activity things and all the action of Jesus. It appealed very much to the Romans who didn't care anything about lineage or anything like that. Mark has no genealogy of Christ. He just starts at the baptism and moves on quickly into the focus of his gospel, which is Passion Week. He portrays Jesus as the suffering servant. So we have the synoptic gospels, and, and Mark speaks pretty much to, to the Romans. They love the action of his account. Matthew speaks to the Jews. Luke speaks to the Gentiles. The three segments of their culture had been ministered to. So why add another gospel? Why did John write late in the century after these gospels had all been circulated? He was not adding new facts. For the most part, John just tells the facts that have been circulated before. But he tells them with a spiritual purpose. Indeed, at the end of John, we've read it several times in these weeks. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life in his name. One person said that the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are are written, as it were, along the highway of life. But John turns aside to enter into a chapel, and in the chapel he reflects on the glory of God. And so we're going to use John as our guide into the glory of God and how we experience the glory of God in his presence. John had seen God's glory. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James. With Elijah and Moses saw the glory of God and the radiance of Jesus in that setting. John was the only disciple at the cross. There, as Jesus breathed his last and the skies turned dark in the middle of the day. He was there to see the risen Christ. He was there at the ascension. He will later be visited by Jesus and receive what we have as the book of Revelation. John experienced the glory of God and he wants to pass that glory on to us. He wants us to experience the glory of God as well. That's what I want us to see. And this morning especially, the glory of his creative presence. You see, John has done an incredible thing for us. He traces Jesus not to the baptism with Mark or not to the manger with Matthew and Luke, not even to Abraham or to Adam, but takes us to a time before creation. In chapter 8 and verse 58 of John's Gospel, he says, Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus gives us this sense that he has always been the eternal I am, long before creation one with the Godhead. Let me read to you the first 14 verses of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, 
The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing has been made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John reveals the Hebrew understanding, the the connection between God and, and nature. In the beginning, God created. No ancient or modern religion has such a close relationship between the Creator and His creation. In John's time were so many misunderstandings. There were the fertility cults who worshipped the natural world. It was shown by temple prostitution and human sacrifice. A horrible, horrible time in the way people were trying to appease the gods. There was Greek mythology, which seems to be kind of a carnal competition between the gods in a drama where they are alternately either for or against Mankind, depending on what their mood was at the time. In that mindset, you never quite knew where you stood with the gods. Then there was the dualism of the Greek philosophy of the day that talked about the imperfect physical world and things that we could not attain in this physical world, but the perfect metaphysical world, which was the ideal. This was John's audience. John speaks into that audience and to the Christian community as well, the Hebrew understanding of the relationship between God and man. To other faiths, God is impersonal or even the enemy. But we understand there is one God, our creator, our sustainer, God who is benevolent. He is for us. We recognize that. Hear what the psalmist says in Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams to his upper chamber on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messenger, flames of fire his servants. He sets the earth on its foundation, yet can never be moved. He goes on for several paragraphs talking about the creative power of God. And then in verse 24 says, How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. This is God's creation. God fills his creation. We can't read the start of 
John without thinking of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sacred scripture to the Hebrews. And John's wording is so close to that that they can't help but tie that together. John does an incredible thing in his contribution to the Christmas story is that he takes us back before creation to tell Jesus' story. He has seen God's eternal glory. And he must summon us back, not merely to the manger, not merely to speak of Jesus as king or as the suffering servant, but to creation. The words were so strikingly similar. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here he says, in the beginning was the word, capital W, the word, logos, not ramata, not the sayings, not words, but Jesus Christ, the word, the logos of God who has come among us. And so with John as our guide, Christmas is not just a birth narrative. And as we come into the Advent season, we see it's not just looking at Jesus as a baby, but we see in him the very glory of God, all the creative power of God, God himself come to earth. And so his creative presence is there in the midst of his incarnation. There's a danger that we won't take the baby seriously. But in Jesus is all the creative power of God. Through him was everything made that has been made. In Jesus is resurrection power. John wants us to know just how big this is. God, one with his creation. We experience his power, his beauty, his creativity in nature. We don't worship nature. This is not pantheism. This is not the misguided folks that say, oh yes, nature is God. But nature reveals the mind of God in all of its intricacy, in all of its imagination. God is one with man. Let me read you David's Psalm number 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe of the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Not only is he the creator, but we are the crown of his creation and the caretakers of his creation. We begin to recognize the immensity of the responsibility that God has given to us. Paul says it this way to the Corinthian church in chapter 4. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God has shown himself in creation and little by little he's revealed himself more and more throughout the Old Testament prophecies and throughout the time leading up to Jesus. But now in Christ we see the full picture of who God is and what his glory is all about. The full knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And over and over in scripture, God says, seek my face. 
It is not seek my hand for what you can receive from me. It is seek my face that you might know me, that we might be in this intimate relationship one with another. Oh, the glory of his presence. Oh, the beauty of his face. I am his and his forever. He has won me by his grace. We recognize that Jesus comes with the message of God's creative power. Consider the glory of God's creative presence. God himself in this infant in the manger. But more than a baby, in him he is revealing all creation. Revealing to us the fullness of the mind of God. We see it as scientists work in laboratories to see the face of God and the order, the wonder, the imagination of this created world. For order presupposes mind. And if it is an orderly world, then it is an orderly God who created this orderly world. And so with creative Jesus, we celebrate this Advent season. Whether you look through a microscope or a telescope, we see God's glory. We see the intricacies of his creation with the attention to detail and the vast expanse of this universe. This creative God is the loving Jesus. The God who made the universe and us to live within this universe is the Jesus who redeems us. The Jesus of the manger is the Jesus of miracles, is the Jesus of the cross, is the Jesus of resurrection, is the Jesus who is our coming king. It is his story. It's his progressive story all the way through the creative effort and to everything that we have experienced to this point. And so we will celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. We have decorated with lights, and he is the one who made light shine out of darkness. We will decorate trees, and God is the creation and creator of trees and all the things around us. The story has... Shepherds and kings and sheep and stars. It's, it's his world. We will exchange gifts and he is the greatest gift giver of all time. John has heresies in his day and we have heresies in ours that would turn us from this message. There are modern folks who talk about the God within you. That there is no God but we are all little gods. Talk about reincarnation or man controlling his own destiny. I am not my own creator, and I am not my own savior. He is both my creator and my redeemer. And so he receives glory, not us. Without his presence, we are in a situation of fear, but with his presence, we find peace and hope that we celebrate on this first Sunday of Advent. There's a danger that we would fall into Christmas traditions without celebrating Christ himself. The hymns of Christmas don't really serve us too well on this theme, but one of them truly does. Isaac Watts' great Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Joy not to the Hebrews, not to the Christians, not just to certain people. Joy to the world. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and let heaven and nature sing. Nature glorifies God. Creation glorifies God. We are the crown of his creation and we are to glorify God by our lives in recognizing his creative purpose. All that has been discovered, all that will be discovered, ever is his. And so we see him in the quiet chapel. We see him in the inspiration of worship. We see him in our bodies. We see him in our universe. 
We look into his creation and see his face. And so he has revealed to us his glory in the face of Christ. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Everything that God wants to reveal, the very radiance of God's being is there in Jesus Christ. I'll share you one more verse. This is from Colossians, right near the end of the first chapter of Colossians. Paul is talking and says, I've become the servant of God's message. He says, servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery. The mystery. They spoke of it all through the Old Covenant. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That which has been mystery to people for ages and generations is revealed in Christ. This is the mystery revealed. Christ can live within us and that is the hope that we have. The hope of glory now and the hope of glory in the days to come. And so this first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of hope, may we recognize that hope is demonstrated in what God has made and what God has done in Jesus Christ. May we see his face and rejoice in who he is. Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. And in the midst of our weakness and often our misunderstanding, you point us to your creative power. The answer to idol worship, whether those idols are carved figures or whether they are the idols of our day, it is the answer for our doubts. It is the answer to unbelief. Your creative power is the answer in Jesus Christ. We rejoice in you. Bless us and walk with us through this Advent season as we celebrate your coming. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. His peace. God bless you. Have a great day, church. 